You know, this morning we are continuing on in our series entitled Convictions, and we've been looking the last several weeks uh, on the non-negotiable truths of our Christian faith, the, the foundational components of the ways in which we live our lives. The last few weeks we spent time looking at the, the sin nature, the, the original sin that entered our, our world through us being disobedient to God, but understanding that that sin has taken over our ability to do what God has desired for our lives if we don't come to that place of understanding our need of a Savior. And we've got to overcome that sin, understanding that, that at the beginning of time, God created us in his image, and that he brought the Holy Spirit to allow us to be able to overcome sin. And we need that Holy Spirit's power in our, in our, at work in our lives daily. So this morning, I want to shift our focus from, from sin to our need to understand the greatness of God's grace in response to our sin, in response to our failures, in response to the decisions that we make in life that are not in alignment with God's desire. You know, you might find yourself asking, why do we need to embrace the sin that exists in our lives and in the world for that matter? When God's free gift of grace is so readily available to us, why do we need to embrace the bad? Well, that's just, that's just the reality. We have to understand our, our propensity to sin in order to understand the incredible power of God's grace at work in our lives. Because if we don't embrace that there's sin and evil in the world, then we have no need of grace. You know, in, in 2005, there was a couple individuals who did a study. Christian Smith and, a, and, a, and Melinda Lundquist Denton published a book entitled Soul Searching, The Religious Lives of American Teenagers. And their study was studying young people and their belief systems. And they found some fascinating things. They found that a majority of young people ascribed to more of a moralistic, therapeutic deism, or what they, what they called MTD. You may ask, what is moralistic, therapeutic deism? I'm glad you asked. The basic beliefs could be summarized the following way. There is a God who exists, who created and orders the world and watches over humans. He created the world and he hovers over it and just kind of keeps an eye on everything. And God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and most other world religions. Just be good. Just be good to one another. Respect and love one another. Be kind. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. That should be your main thrust. God doesn't need to be particularly involved in your life, except when he's needed to resolve a problem. And then God, I'm sorry, good people go to heaven when they die. You just be good. Be good and have a, a wonderful eternity to enjoy, whether, whatever that looks like some sense of euphoria. So this moralistic, therapeutic deism 
really embraces a belief that if you're a good person and you do good things, then all will go well in your life. But there was another individual by the name of Todd Billings, author and a speaker, who did a little bit of a study of his own on Smith and Denton's study. And in his book, The Word of God for the People of God, he said this, Notice that there is no mention of sin, the need for a mediator with God, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit. Apparently, as long as we are generally good, nice, and fair to each other, we will be okay with God, and reconciliation through Jesus Christ is unnecessary. As Smith and Denton point out, MTD is not limited to American teen culture, for American teens have, to a large extent, absorbed the operative theologies of adults around them. So guess what? The young people in the world are imitating and emulating us. Isn't that an amazing thing? Don't you hate those moments in life where your kids do something that you do that you don't ever want to see them do, and then you realize they did it because you did it? That's a fun little fun little check on your reality, and you're like, yeah, don't do that anymore. Hey, yeah, but you, yeah, do as I say, not as I, anyways. You know, last week we, we addressed the fall, we addressed the original sin, we addressed this, this belief that as followers of Jesus, we stepped into the world with, with a sin nature. But this MTD or this moralistic therapeutic deism reveals what happens when we stop seeing sin. When we stop seeing our need of a Savior. We can just get to this place where we look at the world and we say, well, let's all just be generally good to each other. We'll just kind of, you know, float around on our fluffy clouds and bump into each other and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that was, that was my fault. And we could just be generally nice and kind people, and that everything will be great. But we understand that that's not how the world works, that we have a propensity to sin and we need Jesus. Last week we spent some time looking at Romans chapter 3, verse 23, identifying our tendency to sin for all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into the whole passage of Romans 3, 21 through 26, and kind of take a little bit broader look at that passage and what Paul is desiring to say to us. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. If you don't, you can jump on your mobile device. Um, if you're tuning in at home, you can do the same. Uh, the notes are available to you on the YouVersion Bible app, just Search Neighborhood Church Events, and you'll find us there. But Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we, fall, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus 
when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what, would, what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you that as we believe in your Son, as we believe that Jesus came and died and was resurrected so that we could have life, Father God, you lift the penalty of sin off of us. And I thank you that it's through your grace, through your love, that we can experience freedom. And so, God, we submit ourselves to you today, and we ask that you would show us the power of your grace today, that we would be reminded that in the midst of all the things that are going on in the world, there is good news, and it's the grace of God to save us. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we pray your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in this passage of Scripture, Paul continues in addressing this ongoing argument of law versus belief. The Jews who are saying, you've got to live a certain way, you've got to do all the right things, you've got to practice all these rituals, and then you'll receive salvation. And Paul is saying, no, no, it's, it's by your belief in Jesus that you're saved. And he again shifts our focus from the requirements of, of the Mosaic law and instead points people to their need of, of faith. You know, we, we too can get ourselves in this place of, of, of living by a list of do's and don'ts. You know, do this and don't do that, you know. Be generally nice to people and don't be a jerk, you know. Say nice things and, you know, if somebody cuts you off, you know, you know, you know keep from, you know, telling them that they're number one and, and maybe do a light honk instead of a harsh one. You know, we, we can find ourselves in this place where we say, well, we know what we should and shouldn't do. And that maybe become, becomes the end of it. Too often we find ourselves being critical of others. You know, I'm a generally good person, but those other people, man, they... They're kind of a struggle to be around. And we neglect our own faith and our own journey of following Jesus to point out the, the wrongdoing of other people. You know, in coming to understand that the grace given by God is great, we need to understand that it's much greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than our sin. And if you're like me, <laughs> that should be good news. That should be an encouraging word for you. There's a couple realities we've got to embrace when we look at the grace of God and how it impacts our lives. The first thing is this. God provides a free gift of grace, literally disarming the power of sin. God's grace at work in our lives disarms the power of sin. You know, it's often in life that we face discouragement and disappointment, and it tends to lead us 
and our focus to be on that of our own sin and the sin that exists in the world. When we, when we experience disappointment, we, we look at where we failed. When we see destruction and devastation, we look at the evil in the world and we say, why? And it doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up. There's a God in heaven. Why is this stuff happening? And we can get our focus on all the bad. And you don't have to look very far to find bad. We've talked about that repeatedly in this crazy season that we're in. A season that that is wrought with social and political unrest. We see these natural disasters that continue to pop up all over the globe. And we see the destruction and the devastation and the death. We go, why? We have growing frustration and confusion surrounding the directives and the mandates and all the different shifts and changes and turns. And we have a heightened concern as our freedom seems to be literally slipping from our grasp. The reality is when our focus stays solely on those things, on the sin and the evil and the consequences of our decisions, then the news will most definitely be bad. We won't have to look very far to, to say, oh, it's just bad news. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. It may all look bad, but that's good news. That's good news to understand that because God loved us so much, he was willing to make a way back to himself. The amazing thing is when we accept the free gift of grace, purchased through the death and resurrection of Jesus, our story changes. Our entire landscape changes. The trajectory of our lives, the future of our family. We're no longer bound by the power of darkness. We're no longer bound by sin. When we receive and experience the grace of God, all of that stuff is taken away. Does it mean we won't be tempted? Does it mean we won't face challenges? No, we will. But we can have hope in the midst of it. We can experience that peace in the face of uncertainty. Hope when everything seems to be hopeless. And our perspective begins to change from focusing on the overwhelming power of evil, the why, 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 why. And focusing more on God's promises and his greatness in the midst of it all. Because God is still working. God is still moving. God is still healing people. God is still saving young people. God is still calling people to follow him. In the midst of all this stuff, God's grace is clearly evident if we're willing to embrace it and see it. The good news is that grace allows us to live in freedom. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You're not bound by a list of do's and don'ts anymore. You are free in Christ Jesus. So I mean we just go get to throw caution to the wind and just do all the sinful things that we want to do? No. Grace is not a license to sin. Instead, it's a freedom from it. As God has provided the gift of grace to every one of us, the question then becomes, what is stopping us from receiving it? What is, what is stopping you from receiving God's grace? Is it a decision that you made? We've got to understand that God provides the free gift of grace, disarming the power of sin. The second thought is this. God's grace moves us from daily regret to eternal favor. All the things that we embraced in life prior to God's grace showing up and freeing us from the power of sin takes us from that lifestyle of regret, of looking back at past mistakes and saying, oh, I wish I could have done things differently. Oh, I wish I would have made a different decision. Oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have messed that person's life up and destroyed that relationship, did that thing. God's grace moves us to a place of eternal favor with him. But we allow the decisions we've made in the past to rob us sometimes of the plan of God for our lives. Romans chapter 12, 6, verse 12 says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Why do we do that? Why do we give power to the mistakes we've made? We hold ourselves hostage, saying, no, I can't. God can't use me. God can't forgive me. God can't bring me past this situation because I've just wrecked my life and the lives of the people that I love. There were times in my life where I couldn't see past the decision that I had made. I couldn't see past the mistake I had made and the people that I had hurt and the destruction that I had left in my wake. And it was in those moments I had to embrace that God's grace was bigger than all of that. That there was life on the other side of the decision. There was life on the other side of the destruction. There was life on the other side of my shame. But it's willing to embrace God's grace to take us past the point of regret. Maybe you're like me. You've made decisions in your life that, that should disqualify you from the grace of God. 
and you can't see past it. You can't see past that decision. You can't see past that broken relationship. You can't see past the hurt that's been caused. God's grace is available and he desires to do the work in our lives to clean all that stuff out. So let me ask you this. What is the regret in your life? What's holding you back from receiving God's grace? Is it breaching, breaching the trust of a friend or a loved one? A lifetime of addictive behaviors? Drug abuse? Alcohol abuse? Decisions that ruined your reputation and have seemingly left you with nothing? What is it for you that's holding you back from embracing God's goodness and grace in your life? Because it's oftentimes in these moments that we need to be reminded God's grace is greater than your sin. It's greater than your regret. He loves you. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. Did you hear that? God's wonderful grace rules instead. I love that translation. God's grace rules giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's wonderful grace rules so that we can have relationship with Jesus. So that we can step into right standing with God. Gosh, what an incredible promise. As we sinned, God's grace became more and more abundant. So following Jesus allows us to experience true grace. Saying yes to God, entering into relationship with Jesus, allows us to receive grace. What's holding you back this morning? What is holding you back from embracing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? That he's not disqualified you from his love, from his plan, from his grace. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to know the only thing that separates us from God? Is not being willing to receive the free gift of grace. Not willing, being willing to look past our failures and our shortcomings. 
God's eternal favor becomes our reality when we allow the gift of God's grace to cover us. When we allow forgiveness to come in and clean us up. So will you choose to receive God's grace today and experience his favor? Because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. But we first have to say yes. It's a free gift, but a gift has to be received. It's only when we come to a place of repentance, acknowledging our need of God's grace, that we can truly enjoy the freedom we've been given. If we don't see the sin in our lives, how can we ever embrace the freedom? How can we ever embrace the grace? There's an author and speaker by the name of Kenneth Bowie, and he says this, Much of the stress in our lives comes as a result of our insistence on maintaining the illusion of control. We so desperately want to be strong enough to handle the trials and tribulations of life that we literally drive ourselves into the ground rather than admit our desperate need. Often God allows us to reach the breaking point for our own good. Only in those moments of rare clarity that come from bottoming out will we allow ourselves to admit how little control we actually have. In those moments, the only thing we can do is throw ourselves headlong into the grace of God. In these moments, the pain and suffering actually drive us to him. Let me ask you this question. Do you think this global pandemic that we're in the midst of was part of God's plan? Do you think maybe, just maybe, God is bringing us back to a place of understanding our simple need of his love and his grace? Because we tend to get real comfortable as followers of Jesus, don't we? We tend to get to that place where we get real comfortable in our, our Christian walk, come to church, we enjoy it, we go home, we enjoy that, we do our little things throughout the week, and we get real comfortable in our Christianity, not understanding that at our core, we need God's grace. We need his love. And all these other things are temporary. So what does all this mean? It means we don't have to live our lives dwelling on regrets or mistakes or, or looking around saying, oh my gosh, it's all bad news. Everything's falling apart in the world. What in the world are we going to do? We try and we try and we try to, to earn the favor of God, thinking that if we just do enough good, that we will somehow magically go into right standing with God. Instead, we should trust that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. And that God is faithful to forgive us and welcome us into relationship with him when we receive the free gift of grace. We've got to remember that God provides that free gift of grace so that the power of sin can be broken off of our lives. And God's grace moves us from the regrets of yesterday 
to the favor of tomorrow. Understanding that God created and designed you with a plan. I think Jesus says it best in John chapter 6, verse 29. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's it. The only thing God wants from you is that you would believe in his son Jesus Christ and that he came and died and rose again so that you and I could have life and life more abundant. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we come back to this place of understanding that without you we are nothing. That without your grace we would not have hope. And so, Father, we, we come to this place of understanding and embracing our propensity to sin. We understand that we have been born into a sinful nature. But God, in your love and in your mercy and in your grace, you desire to provide us a way back to you. So, Father, we say thank you this morning for loving us that much that while we were still in our sin, you sent your son to die. And God, as we face a world that is it's just an, an utter chaos, it's easy to lose sight of what you're desiring to do in and through our lives. But Father, today we're reminded that your grace is sufficient, that your love is complete, that your work is done. And that all we need to do is receive it. So Father, this morning our focus is on you. Our focus is on your invitation to relationship. We ask that you would help us to push past all the noise remember who you've created us to be. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your love. And this morning, perhaps you find yourself in that place of saying, that's all great. But I'm in this place in life and it feels like there's this barrier between me and God feels like there's this barrier between me and hope. I just can't seem to get past it. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that Christ was raised from the dead, we'll be saved. That wall will come down. That ability to have connection with God will be restored. but we simply have to receive that gift of grace and forgiveness. So in a moment, we're going we're gonna to say a prayer together. And if you're in that place of saying, I, I, I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I've lived a life of regrets. And I want to truly understand what it means to experience the favor of God that's available. And we would ask you to pray with us. It's a simple prayer. 
But if you speak it with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you'll be saved. So this morning, whether you're in the house or you're tuning in online, would you say this prayer with us? Church family, can we say this so that we don't say this together and we don't embarrass anybody? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, today we celebrate the greatest gift that has ever been given us. That's the grace of God. The free gift of grace. And yet too often, the greatest difficulty in life is stepping into the grace of God. And so my encouragement to you today is no matter what you've navigated through, God is doing a work in you and in me. And he's desiring to use us to share this amazing hope with everyone we come in contact with. We are ambassadors of grace. So go home, make yourself a little little gold badge and stick it on your chest because you're an ambassador of grace. But we have a great gift that we should share with those that we come in contact with this week. And so as we go out of this place, can we make that commitment to be those ambassadors of grace? Can we make that commitment to show the love of Jesus in every situation and every conversation? And as we do that, I'm confident that we will be the neighborhood. God bless you and have a wonderful week.